Welcome to the Live, Sell, Die podcast. Well, good morning, everybody from New Zealand. My name is Sue Ellen from Live, Sell, Die, and I'm joined by Kiwi ILCA dinghy slash laser sailor, George Gautry, who is over in Barcelona in Spain for the ILCD, I can't even say it, the <laughs> ILCA World Championships, the Laser Men's World Championship. Let's just call it the laser. How will we do that? How, how are you going, George? Yeah, no, I'm going good. Obviously, Epic to be back sailing in the Ilka, which is what we call it in the boat park these days. But I still like the laser, but got to move with the times. So, um, the laser at the front of the progression game when it comes to technology. So we thought we'd change the name too. <laughs> Having a shock oh, this morning, aren't we? Um, yeah, Ilka, ILCA, uh, because basically what happened, we'll just sort of get this um, out of the way before we sort of get into it. A bit of a Barney happened between the International Laser Class Association and the UK Builder. But long story short, the class is now known as Ilka or ILCA Dinghy. But um, the sailors pretty much calling it the laser still. And uh, look, it's an Olympic class, no matter what you call it. It's been sailed by champions around the world. And George, you are on your way to being one of those champion sailors. You're in Barcelona for the world. Uh, but let's before we get into that, can you just talk us through how on earth you managed to leave Fortress New Zealand during a pandemic? Uh, with a lot of help from uh, some good people at YNZ. Um, helping me navigate the MIQ system and actually just traveling once I did get that MIQ spot, trying to link everything together. It's a lot harder than it used to be. But uh, yeah, after a few tried and failed attempts with the MIQ system, I think third time lucky, I think I was 1800s in the queue. Um, and I haven't got the perfect MIQ spot. I've got to kill a bit of time after the Worlds, but luckily I've got a few things to do over here in Europe. So I'll keep myself entertained. So for those that don't really understand, New Zealand's borders are still closed because of the pandemic. Uh, and it means that our sailors, our professional sailors and our sailors who are striving to, you know, get to the next level uh, in their careers, you've basically got like this lottery system on getting back into the country. Uh, some people have managed to win the lottery to get back into the country. Uh, but some we know that there's some of our sailors that are still stuck in Europe or stuck overseas in various places because they just can't get back. But anyway, we're not going to have a political discussion today. This is all about sailing. And That's a rabbit is, hole. <laughs> it is a rabbit hole. I'm not going to go. It's like actually picking a really bad shift after an awesome start. Yeah. Just gets worse and worse. <laughs> you can't recover. No, no, you can't. Now, look, George, you were third. You got the bronze medal in the 2019 Worlds in Japan. And then had a bit of a shocker, would you call it, <laughs> getting 29th in the 2020 Worlds in Melbourne. Look, you, for everyone who doesn't understand, we had some freedom here in New Zealand, but uh, we're actually on day number, I don't know, it feels like 120 of lockdown uh, here, and we've not been able to sail. George, how on earth has that impacted you know, your, your strategies and your planning and your tactics coming into a world championship? Yeah, obviously it hasn't been ideal by any stretch of the imagination. But as you're saying, after the third world, third of the worlds in Japan, went to Australia, and obviously that was the trials for the Olympics. So for me, being my first Olympic campaign, it was a lot of pressure on, and I think it uh, really got to the younger George 
it's only two years ago, but I feel like I've aged immensely since then, um, along with the rest of New Zealand, with drawn-out years, with COVID and all that. But look, from after Australia, I had a really awesome time training with Sam and Mark Howard through to the games and actually helping Sam get better and improve. Obviously, didn't really get the result we were hoping for at the games, but that's just sailing at the end of the day. And through that time, we did a lot of sailing with the Aussies, with Matt Wern. And so I think I can take a lot of a lot of confidence forward from having done that sailing uh, through the past two years, even if I haven't sailed more than about 10 days in the past two months. Um, obviously less than ideal, but it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, I mean, all of us have sort of had our lives sort of, you know, put on hold. But, you know, for you, the ultimate goal is to still represent New Zealand in the Ilka laser class at the Olympics. And so the next opportunity for you to qualify for that um, is coming up with the next uh, Games being in France. Now, but before we just sort of get to that, let's just quickly talk about the, the Worlds because there's some big names that are actually missing from this world and being the current gold medalist, uh, Matt Wern. Now, any reason on why Matt's decided to sit this one out? I think he's a bit scared of the new generation. Oh, <laughs> nah, nah, for sure. He'll just be taking, taking, say, taking some time for himself. The laser's a brutal class to sail for a long time. And especially when you build up to an event like that and you actually, you achieve what you wanted to achieve for the past four years, I'm sure it's just, sitting back and enjoying some sun. Although I think he's in Belgium, so I doubt there's much sun. It's probably raining. <laughs> now, speaking but, of that, yeah. um, you, you, you know, saying he's taking some time out. Now, we know um, our, our lovely Kiwi laser sailor, Sam Meach, didn't have the greatest of uh, Olympic campaigns. Look, you can always um, blame that on lots of different reasons and various things. But, you know, ha- you, you train with Sam. You know what's going on with Sam. Why has he decided to sit this one out? Uh, similar reason to Matt. Like you put all your beans into one basket for that whole Olympic campaign or building up to one event. And I think like I'd be having some time off too. It's just so demanding. I think he said in every Olympic class that those sailors tend to take a bit of time off after the games just because the pressure they put on themselves and the external pressure is just so great it's just time to sit back and relax for a little bit um and I think for for Sam you know he his whole lead into that Olympics was so impressive like he nearly every regatta was first or second the world champs he was always in the top five so I think yeah it didn't work out but he'll take some time to ponder what was well the past four even eight years in the class since Rio um, and look, I hope he comes back. Uh, I would, I would like nothing more to to compete against him for the next three years to get that spot. But at the end of the day, that's his decision. And look, there's more to life than laser racing. Um, I may not think so right now, but apparently, post laser sailing, there is other things. But I'll who would have thought, hey? <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, so you and Sam are pretty close. So we're going to ask you the question. Have you and him had a chat about the next Olympic Games and on, you know, is he going to come back? Is he going to do it again? Or is he going to go, you know what, George, take it on, mate. It's all yours. (laughs) I think he's scared of me, to be brutally honest with you. No, I I haven't sat down and had a conversation with him about it, but I think definitely when I get home and 
building into the new year in 2022 for sure it's a conversation I want to have because even if he's if he's not going again he's a valuable resource for me and Tom and even Mark my coach just he's done two campaigns it would be silly not to have his input and what I'm doing and what potentially he sees the future in the laser to be um and yeah like anything in sailing you need to learn as much as you can from the people who've done it before because the end of the day it's a start a few marks and a few shifts and whoever gets it right wins and he's been there before it's amazing how just you know sailing around in circles can mean so much now <laughs> you uh, you mentioned tom so we'll just we'll just touch on that you've got fellow kiwi uh, laser sailor tom saunders who is also over there in barcelona but he didn't have to worry about you know trying to you know, leave New Zealand to get a spot. He's been over in Europe for a while. Uh, have you guys uh, hit the water and done any training together? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, actually, earlier in the year, I was lucky enough to do a training block with him in Australia, um, just before the games, actually, um, about a week before Sam flew to Japan. And Tom went straight to Europe to do what you do in Europe. I don't know, travel, go see churches and do a bit of sailing. Um, so he's been lucky enough actually to compete at the Europeans in Varna, which happened a month ago. So um, I considered going to them, but just didn't have an MIQ spot. And as much as I like my English family, I didn't think I could uh, spend more than about four months over here. So I was really hoping to get an MIQ uh, spot locked in before I came, which luckily I did. And yeah, since, since we landed in Barcelona, we had a week. We're just me and him getting on the water with a few other countries are here, the Germans, the British, which, is, which was really, really good. And then the past week, we've had Mike Bullo turn up, who's uh, going to coach us for this regatta, with Mark Howard not actually being able to travel to this event. Um, so another ex-laser sailor. So it's a bit of a congregation of us here going for a yacht, which has been epic. It's always good to see other Kiwis. Oh, he's going to absolutely hate me for this, but... Um laser sailor slash bachelor on uh, that TV show, <laughs> The Bachelorette. But anyway, we'll move on from that. Look, there's Yeah, can't say I've watched it. <laughs> I had to just have a watch it just for the giggle factor. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from that, 139 sailors from 44 nations are going to be competing at this world championship. Now, sitting here in our little bubble in New Zealand I, you know, it, and not being able to travel for so long, just the thought of that many sailors from that many countries in the one spot. Can you just give us a bit of a, a details on what traveling was like leaving New Zealand, traveling, you know, through a pandemic and then getting there and being on the uh, rigging lawn with all of these other sailors. Is there any normality over there or are you all walking around in masks or, you know, what's happening? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm taking a pretty cautious approach to it all, especially in the lead into the worlds. I'm being very careful about my hand washing and mask wearing just as uh, just to avoid the risk of it all. But I think, yeah, leaving New Zealand airports desolate, empty airplanes, which of course is nice for me. Got to sleep for 14 hours or something on my way to Dubai. I had as many seats as I'd like to myself, but. Um, yeah, it's certainly getting back to normal. I wouldn't say it's a free-for-all. There's certainly protocols people follow, like in all the malls, everyone's wearing masks. There's limits to how many people can be in shops, but it definitely seems like they're getting back towards being, I don't know, some sense of a normal normality. Um, 
still like a little bit tricky traveling between countries. Each country has a different, what you've got to have, double vats, what type of proof, got to fill in all sorts of forms. But I think that's just going to be the new age of traveling for the next couple of years at least. Um, and look, it hasn't been too difficult by any stretch of the imagination, just a bit of forward planning, which, uh, you know, you got to do anyway. Um, and then when it comes to boat park, yeah, it's a lot less hugging and a lot less uh, kissing. Not, not that that much goes on in the laser oh, park. Hey, but, how much you know. kissing goes on in the boat park at the men's worlds? <laughs> oh. oh, you'd be surprised. You'd, you'd be surprised. Those Europeans can get a bit frisky sometimes. But now a lot, a lot more fist bumps and a lot less high fives. Uh, you know, but there certainly are countries who just don't care, um, and you can see that. But just being from New Zealand, a little bit naive, you know, I just keep my mask on, try to keep my distance and say good day from a distance. <laughs> well, look back to the sailing. Who would be? Who would you consider to be your biggest competition on the race course for this World Championship? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. Um, who did uh, you target? A, eh? where are you aiming at? Uh, it's it's a hard one to give myself a name for because I'm I don't go to these events to not to not win them or get a very good result. Like it's, I don't know, as a sailor, that's sometimes where you do it. You know, you want to win. I'm, being from New Zealand, you have got a little chip on your shoulder and you want to win. You know, um, trying to be realistic shoulder. with what I can achieve. Hey, what, what's that all about? What's this chip on your shoulder because you're a Kiwi? What's that all yeah, about? Uh, I feel like that's part of the part of being a Kiwi, right? Um, you feel like you've got no, something to prove because Kiwis are just amazing sailors. Oh, yeah, exactly. And you look at the success of other classes. You know, I want the laser to be up there, uh, winning world championships in a row, or six of them, or whatever the 49ers have done. Um, but look, there's there's a lot of very talented sailors in uh, the laser class at the moment. You got. Pavlos Contides from Cyprus is a two-time two-time world champion. Got a couple of Olympic medals. You got Philip Ball, reigning world champion. Obviously, you got bronze medalist from uh, Norway. Terms Thomas can't pronounce his last name very well. Um, so look, there's a lot of guys who are going to be really hot, um, and there's a couple of young Australians who are coming up through the ranks really quickly. And if I'm looking at the forecast. I think, unfortunately, it may be one of those events where nearly anything can happen. Um, but, yeah, my pick would be Philip Ball. He's, he's always quick and always know how to, knows how to peak at the right time. Cool. And just on that, you're talking about the, the location of where you're sailing. Now, this event was delayed by three months because of the pandemic. And I've, I've seen that you said that it's kind of like between different weather patterns that are going on there, you know, how do you study for an event? How do you how do you sort of do your research on the weather when the event is meant to be at this particular time and all of these other things get thrown in around the way? How do you prepare? Do you sit there and study the tides? Do you sit there and look at the waves? Do you picture yourself on the start line getting your transits? You know, how do you prepare for that? <laughs> yeah, good question. Usually, well, usually we go to uh, venues that, people have sailed at before and actually done a lot of sailing at in the time zones that we've been there. So often it's a lot of talking to locals or talking to people who've done yachting there. And, you know, often the venues sailing, the New Zealand sailing team's done events there before. So there's actually a lot of information about what's going on. But Barcelona this time of year, 
everyone I tried to speak to was like, what are you doing sailing there this time of year? It's going to be horrendous. Um, and I think we've seen it in the forecast we get every day. There's strong, strong mistral flows off the coast, but they just never make it into Barcelona. So basically we sit in this big hole off Barcelona where the sea breeze is trying to come in, but the temperature's dropped about. Uh, three or four degrees over the past three weeks so you're really just not seeing that flow being generated so past three days we've had five to ten knots from about six different directions so well that's fun (laughs) goodness me oh well you just got to play it smart and pick the right shift then that's pretty easy to do yeah there's yeah there's something to be said for not knowing what's going on and just going out and sailing by feel so that seems like what this thing might be I mean, so, I mean, sail by feel, and that's pretty much what a laser is because, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the class, it must be living under a rock because it's been around forever. It's the biggest class in the world, but there's really not much to a laser. I mean, you've got your bang, you've got your, you know, I mean, there's not that much compared to, compared to the fin or an OK dinghy Mm. or a 470, there's not that much going on. So it really does come down to the skill of the sailor. So do you feel that, you know, laser sailors are a little bit special in that way, you know, because it really is about how smart and how talented that sailor is? Oh, yeah, we definitely feel like we're, we're the ducks nuts in that sense, uh, the purest form of sailing or whatever. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, no, it is cool when you go to go to the World Champs and we all get charter boats, which are supposedly exactly the same, and you should get a pretty fair idea who, of who is genuinely the best. Um which is pretty cool, but then you also have got the whole charter boat situation, which is you can you can pick up a, a dud on the first day and you can't really do anything about it. You've sort of got to figure out how to sail with it. Um, so that's sort of pros and cons of laser sailing, I guess. But well, yeah, like one, the racing, the, the race. No, no, it's definitely not. They're all completely different. Um, but Whatever. that's that's the epic epic part of laser sailing. It's like we've got 140 boats here. We're only sailing in two fleets, so it's 70 boats on a start line, which is going to be wild. The biggest regatta I've done in the past year is about 15, I think. So, so tell just a about a start one. line, like 70 boats on the start line. T- tell us what the feeling is like on that kind of start line. Is there how much argy bargy is there? Is there any like sort of elbows that sort of go out, or is there any kind of cheeky little pullbacks of boats, or you know, or is everybody uh, friendly and well behaved? Uh, people like to think they're well behaved, but it really depends on what day in the regatta you're in. The first day, people are super keen to get racing and really, really punchy on the start line. And we'll probably have four or five general recalls before we actually get a race away. And then as the regatta goes on and people slowly realize that yeah, the regatta's not quite panning out how they used to or how they want it to, we see them start to relax a little bit. And then, of course, we've got three days of qualifying. And then you go into three days of finals racing. So then Gold Fleet kicks it up another notch. And the same sort of thing happens again. That first day of Gold Fleet, people would be getting really, really punchy. And then people tend to calm down once they actually figured out that the old, old mate from the pinion is going to win the line, uh, win the race. So, yeah, I don't know. Different regattas, different people like to approach it differently. I'll just try and stay out of the ship fight. So when you decide, right, I want to start uh, from the middle to the pin end of the line, that's like, that's your goal. That's where you want to be. But you just find yourself so far off where you want to be and you're at the boat end. 
how do you deal with your strategy for the race once you know the initial stage of what you planned is thrown out the window <laughs> uh, i could write a book for you if you wanted but um yeah i'm sure it'll be uh, a bestseller how to start a laser race how to, how to sell an ilka seven or whatever they're called these days um I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's one of those things. You can have the best laid plans in the world before a race, but it's actually being able to being able to merge that plan into what actually happens on the race course is a whole different whole different thing. Um, and often I approach a race as not having a strict plan of what I actually want to do. It's actually having ideas about what's actually going on with the wind and the pressure and the, how the fleet's sailing, and then using that to adapt to in the middle of the race because you're never going to be able to execute a plan really how far ahead are you thinking like the start gun's gone you're on your way how far ahead Mm. are you planning i mean can you already visualize yourself going around that top mark in first place oh always (laughs) uh i don't know You, you sort of i sort of approach it in two minds you've got in the here and now where you're racing and the decisions you have to make second by second and then you've got your overall what's going on with the course and laser racing is relatively predictable and you know there's about three or four pinch points where you're going to have to make crucial decisions about whether to cross whether to set up on starboard or port lay whether you're going to split at the gate or whether you're going to split at the reaching mark and i guess breaking down a laser race i know where i have to make those decisions so just being ready for that and making a calculated decision rather than one just based off emotion. So then you've got your whole, you've got your race plan in your head, you know, you, you sort of take it as it comes, each tack is a time, but there's something that you actually do before you've even put your sailing gear on. Now we need to have mm. a talk about this because it's a bit weird. <laughs> you cannot remember the last time that you didn't eat a bowl of oats before you went laser sailing. George, you've traveled the world. I need you to rate <laughs> which country has the best oats. Uh, look, uh, I, I can't go past the countdown oats, the, just the simple, whatever, the Woolworths or whatever whatever they call themselves, Woolies, countdown oats. They're just simple, the best. I know how much they cost. I know how, many, how long I have to use them for, how many weeks they'll last. It's always a bit tricky when you land in Spain and I'm holding up different packets of oats. Go, is that the right one? And I always toss up whether to take oats with me, but I tend not to and just try to run the gauntlet when I land in the country. Um, but, yeah, you can ask anyone that uh, I've lived with or sailed with that every morning starts with a good bowl of oats. A good bowl of oats. All right, so any company out there that's, um, you know, selling oats, we've got a spokesperson <laughs> for you. Uh, countdown, Woolies, whatever. Yeah, Uncle Toby set me up. <laughs> Here you go. You've got your man. You, you've got to ask yourself, though, why why oats? I mean, you've got people who, you know, listen to, like, their favourite song. You know, they, you know, got the headphones on. They're just banging away to themselves, getting into the mood. You've got others that maybe carry around a dead rabbit's foot. You've got all sorts of things. Why did you, why did you think oats was going to be the thing that got you through the day? <laughs> I don't know, it gives me good clean energy, uh, gives me a good kick in the ass and gets me moving for the day, I guess. I don't know, I used, I used to be very superstitious when I was in opties and P classes and starlings and all those classes and found it never really worked for me. So 
I think it was when I first got into laser, I just dropped, tried to drop all my superstitions and all that. And I committed all sorts of crimes, like sailing with green ropes and sailing Terrible. with bananas. And if you look at any photo of me from the laser world, where I got third, nearly every rope on my boat is green. That's fantastic. <laughs> Which I think is a bit of, bit of a cardinal sin, but that's all right. Yeah. Oats is just my platform. The rest of the day just grows from. Do you have a favourite topping on these oats? Come on, we, we need to get oats across the board now. <laughs> well, I, well, yeah, I have a bowl of oats and it's the same every morning. It's a tablespoon of peanut butter and a banana chopped into it. Just mix that up. And if I'm feeling real fancy, I'll sprinkle some like muesli on top to give it a bit of crunch. I think this just turned into cooking with George. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an art to it for sure, for sure. Goodness. Right. So back to the actual sailing. Now, the practice race took part today, your time. So it's 8.30 mm. at night. Well, now nine o'clock at night, your time. You didn't take part in the practice race. And, you know, for someone who hasn't actually had a lot of competition leading into this event, I need to understand why you decided to not actually go out there and at least do the start or at least, you know, get up to the first mark. Why did you sit the practice race out? Yeah, good question. Um, I can't actually remember the last time I did a practice race, um, but for no real reason, just day before event, often I choose not to sail, just like to rest up. But I actually found myself, now that I'm in a hotel, on the top floor uh, at the swimming pool, actually, just looking out when the practice race is meant to be going on. I saw a total of two lasers out there. Um, so the race committee ran a race for two lasers and I'm pretty sure it got abandoned at the top mark. So that's generally the reason we don't do the practice race because it's not really a race by the end of it. And for a practice for it, the committee, put, really. Yeah, exactly. It's for them to figure out how to get things moving. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it would be cool if it was a thing, but it just isn't a thing in laser. No one really ever does it. So, yeah. Fair enough. Now, you just mentioned about your hotel and, um, you know, for those that have a squirmish stomach, probably turn the volume down right about now. But if you like to be grossed out, this is the story to listen to. Now, George, when you got over to Barcelona, you were in an Airbnb. You're now in a hotel. Just discuss the transition on how that came to be. Yeah, look, I, I usually like to stay in the Airbnb just because it gives you a little bit more freedom. You can cook and do whatever you want, usually have your own washing and all that type of thing. It's just a little bit easier. But it was all going well. About seven days into my uh, stay, I started to notice sort of a bit of a smell. But Barcelona tends to sort of just smell occasionally. So I sort of just passed it off and I went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night and I was, Good Lord, it stinks in here. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And I roll over on my bed and just drag my duvet. I'm like, oh, it's wet. And so I pull it up onto the bed and just sewage just had just, uh, just started piping out of a hole in the floor of my bedroom. Like, honestly, <laughs> so like I'm I dry was, reaching right now. <laughs> just <laughs> sitting on my bed with just sewage all up, bubbling up from a hole on the floor. And I was like, so I chucked a couple of pillows on the floor and did like the floor is lava and jumped down to the kitchen, um, called my Airbnb house and was like, mate, there's just sewage pumping out of the floor. And, uh, spent the night on the couch and he's like, oh, do you want to stay here? I'll clean it up. I was like, 
oh. probably sort of ruined, ruined the vibe for me a little bit. So, yeah, I'm in a hotel now. So, uh, well, considering you're wanting to stay healthy and, you know, try to avoid <laughs> any contamination of any kind, pandemic or sewage, yeah. No, mate, I think I'll move out of this Airbnb. It's not really the... I mean, if you're going to have a shit regatta, probably a good place to stay. <laughs> but you've got to go in there where you don't want it to be a shit regatta. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to give yourself any excuses. So I was like, oh, it's probably best I move on. But yeah, one of the more fruitful uh, Airbnb experiences I've had. That's just so gross. Okay, yeah, so anyway, back, back to the sailing again. You know, jumping here, jumping here. All right, it's yeah. all right. Um, so back to the sailing. So you've started the event and say you're three to four races in. How does, do you, do you find yourself changing and adapting to the different environments that you've, that you've now seen? Um, you know, you've seen the tactics of all the new sailors. You've seen which sort of side of the course works in different conditions. Does your strategy sort of readjust halfway through a regatta or what you plan at the start, you carry all the way through? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, usually I would try to stick to what I've planned for the whole event. My like day-to-day racing changes for sure, like weather conditions, if we learn something about a race course for sure, you add that in. But I really try not to stray too far away from how I've wanted to sail the regatta the whole time. Um, and that means starting off the regatta relatively conservatively and then just building into into the regatta as I get more and more confident. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you see a lot of sailors do, especially after the first or second day, really make an adjustment to how they're sailing. And often you see it in a more negative way than a positive change. You see sailors getting riskier once the first couple of days haven't gone their way. And for me, especially a regatta like this where I haven't done a lot of big feet racing in a while, I need to get back into the process of racing and putting together a couple solid races each day. And for me, that's sticking to how I usually would sail and not actually straying too far from that. Good advice. So now <laughs> you're, you're, sa- <laughs> you're sailing career. Um, it has been going on forever. But for those that sort of don't know, Talk to us about, you know, how did you actually get into sailing? Tell us about the classes that you've sailed and then why you decided the laser was going to be your pathway as opposed to, you know, skiff sailing or keelboat sailing or pro sailing or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess it, I started sailing when I was quite young with my dad and, um, I grew up in England. I was born in Cambridge in England, uh, a long way from any water. I think our closest water was Grafham Water, just a little lake. Um, And when I was five, we moved to New Zealand to Eastbourne in Wellington, which is just surrounded by water. Um, So it was sort of a natural progression to get into some sort of water sports. And dad had grew up sailing in France as a kid um, and brought a laser and we had a laser with no trolley, um, some sketchy rigging and a wooden centerboard that's rammed up on the beach in Eastbourne. Um, they've got some wicked memories of just tearing across Wellington Harbour and far more wind than we should really be out there and two up in a laser with my dad and him telling me to point, point at that island and I'll pull the main jeep. Um, so, yeah, epic memories doing that. And then I think when I was eight, you can start doing, you learn to sail, so... Did that, skip, learned to sail level two, 
this Whoa. guy over here. Gee, hello. <laughs> Top yeah. of the class. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, grew up doing all the, the Opti scene through my club, uh, Muratai Yacht Club in Wellington. And then, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Opti sailing, but I just enjoyed doing it with friends and my brother. Like, I remember just the training we always did was just me and my brother out in the harbours. No coaches. I think we had one coaching session every two weeks with Tim Coltman, an old coach from Wellington. And I think I just, just grew to love the sport rather than actually worried about being good at it. And I think that's, that stood me so well, uh, so well into the future and all the rest of the sailing I did that I actually just quite like to go sailing. Um, which has That's been really, really interesting. Good. Just want to touch on that for a second. You, you know, you, you said you do sailing because you love sailing. You, did you ever feel any pressure from your parents, you know, to be the best? Um, you know, or was it something that just sort of naturally progressed and and they realised that you were quite talented at it? Uh, I've been blessed with lovely, lovely parents. Uh, and my dad was a farmer and mechanic and from humble roots and, I still we still had a farm the whole way up until unfortunately he passed when I was 13 or 14 um and mum just yeah I think they installed a installed you can do whatever you want but you got to do it well um and I think that sort of stuck with me all through school all through maybe not so much university because I'm doing that while sailing so it's like a little bit different but (laughs) But I, yeah, like mum, mum was a high achiever at university, and she played in the New Zealand water polo team, and was in the university ski team. So I think it's just, yeah, I think it was you could do what you want, but just do it well, um, and don't have and any regrets you, about what you do. Yeah, and when, when did you realise that you were actually quite good at this? Because it does actually take a lot to be good at sailing, and to be good in a laser takes a very <laughs> unique athlete. But, you know, yeah. you must have just had that moment when you went, oh, I'm actually okay at this. Yeah, for sure. I had that moment. It was my first year in, uh, the, in laser radio. But I think what served me well is I sailed. I sailed peak last, Starling, did a couple of seasons in 29er. And I really actually just did a lot of sailing that I enjoyed. And the couple of seasons I did in 29er were epic fun. I did a season with Leonard Takashi Fry. And then I did a season with a good mate of mine from Wellington. Through those years, I didn't do maybe quite so much sailing um, and actually focused on schoolwork a little bit more. And then year 13, I was like, I'm not doing any schoolwork. I just want to go sailing. So got in the loads radial basically because my brother didn't want to sail 29er with me because he wanted to do triathlon. So I was like, fine. And then the other guy I was sailing with 29er with didn't want to do it. So I was like, all right, laser. Let's, let's see how this goes. And I think I hadn't really had too much success in sailing before that. I had a couple of second places at nationals and I mean, that's done pretty a bit good. of mattress. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, good. Like, come yeah. on. A lot of people would love to get second at a nationals. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're but so um, yeah, I did a bit of match racing and just, just enjoyed that. And then when I got in laser radio, I sort of just clicked for me. You know, it was me versus this my body and the conditions, you know, could I hike for longer? Yeah, sure. I just need to train more. And I think at the, the first nationals I did, I surprised myself and actually ended up winning them. And I was like, Oh, all right. Okay. 
Light Not bulb bad. moment. <laughs> I'm okay at this. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, yeah, it was, it, it was amazing. Oh, that's so good. Look, I'm, I'll admit it. I'm a laser sailor too. I could Don't tell. tell anyone. Um, and, you know, always used to cop a bit of flack for being a laser sailor. Oh, my God, you've got no friends. Yeah, you're going to sail a laser. Do your mates give you flack for sailing a laser? Uh, yeah, yeah, you cop a bit of heat, but you just you just tell them you're stronger than them, and Boom. I could sail a skiff as well, and all that type of shit. You just you just give it right back. Really, I think it's the best way to do it. Um, but yeah, no, I think more and more you're seeing uh, laser sailors jump into the moth class, and got Tom Slingsby, who's a bit of a legend, and you know, He's I not think bad. if you've actually no, not bad. You've seen a lot of people come out of the laser class, and for someone like me who's just coming up in it, that sort of shows a clear pathway. Not out of the class, but if you do well in it, there is actually somewhere to go beyond. Um, and yeah, look, I look at some of the other classes and go, I wish I could go racing in a 49 or it looks epic fun, but then the racing's not quite as tactical as what you get in a laser. Um, so I think there's trade offs for every class, but yeah. We're certainly well, they, the slowest. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we hear that all the time. Uh, now, look, you you you're quite young, and you're quite early in your in your career. You're 23, so mm. you've got a lot of time left in this particular class. So, I mean, let, let's just say for some reason, you know, you don't quite make it, um, you know, to the next Olympic Games. Is your goal still to keep going and to get to the next one after that? Uh, I, I take a pretty pragmatic approach to it each sort of year. I reassess where I'm at, how's other things I'm doing going. And I think the past couple of years, I've actually really tried to diversify my skills in sailing, you know, doing a bit more, a bit more match racing, trying to get into some bigger boat stuff. Um, got a moth doing that now. Um, so I think laser sailing is not the be all and end all of it, but it's certainly the platform at the moment that I'm pursuing the hardest. <laughs> well, look, there you go. Look, so it's, um, gosh, it's now 22 minutes past nine uh, over where you are. And I don't know, but if I was your coach, I'd be saying tools down. It's time to go to bed. You have yeah, got two races, two races on the schedule tomorrow to open the regatta, open the world championship. Yeah. Two races and uh, a pretty fluky forecast. So who knows? <laughs> Well, as long as you have that bowl of oats in the morning with your tablespoon of peanut butter and your banana, and uh, I'm sure that everything's going to go great for you. George, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. You are definitely one of New Zealand's up-and-coming sailors. I'm sure we're going to see your name in lights everywhere uh, once you (laughs) nail this particular regatta and then go on and win a gold medal for New Zealand. Oh, that's going to happen, right? Uh, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) <laughs> be confident <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah what is there there is no second isn't that the line yeah something something like that <laughs> yeah. awesome hey well george thank you so much for joining us now before we do tap out there is one subject that we've not talked about yet which is probably one of the most important one and that is thanking all of our amazing sponsors and supporters because without them we can't bring you stuff like this and for you george you know you can't travel or can't you, you, know, you can't go to events. So who are the people that you'd like to thank for sort of getting you to where you are now? A uh, massive thank you has to go out to YNZ and High Performance Sport. They're the main people who helped me with my uh, 
my uh, campaign, setting it up, all the physios that helped me, um, all the psychologists, Mark Howard, my coach, um, been instrumental in getting me here. And then to Sam as well, he's provided a lot of support to me. And then beyond that, Zyke have been massive and giving me all the gear I need to go yachting, which uh, is essential. Um, and then there's so many other people to mention, but uh, it has to come back to my mum for always just telling me to go get it. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I mean, well, obviously here at Live, Sail, Die, we have a massive um, amount of supporters who sort of help keep things ticking over for us. And I think during this time, we need to do an extra special thanks to them. They've all stuck with us during this horrible pandemic. And that has meant that we've been able to bring all this, you know, coverage, you know, from the Olympics, our podcast and our videos at the Olympics and so on, and all the America's Cup stuff that we did. So from, from Live, Sail, Die, we need to thank Doyle Sales, B&G, Predict Wind, Vacaros, PIC Insurance Brokers, Busfield Marine Brokers, Hyundai New Zealand, Marine Concierge, Yacht Share, and of course, our entire team there's like 17 of us now around the world. Good um, Lord. Oh, oh, you're telling me. Um, started at a little hobby 16 years ago. It's kind of morphed into <laughs> this own ecosystem. Um, but a massive thank you to those people. And look, George, we're so excited to see your racing, to see your regatta. You're going to keep in touch with us, though. We're going to catch up maybe halfway through the regatta and give us an update. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, no. So, when's the late day? When's the day off? Oh, I think the midweek party's on the 8th, I think. So. But we don't have a lay day. Just bang them out. Just banging them out. <laughs> Mid-day, <laughs> mid-regatta party. Gosh. Yeah, it's always in the sailing instructions. So there you go. <laughs> uh, what happens there? Maybe that's a different show. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to one, so who knows. Good work. Hey, all right. Look, thanks so much, George. Time for you to go to bed, get some rest before racing. Best of luck from everyone here in New Zealand. Um, obviously, we are cheering for all the Kiwis. <laughs> Go, Tom. Um, <laughs> sorry, enough. Tom. Go, Tom. But, yeah, obviously, you know, great. Um, best of luck to you, George, and hope it all goes well. Yeah, thank you for having me and loving everything you're doing for the sport of sailing. Thanks. Great to hear. We'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Very good. Very good.